to What the Fuck Just Happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a sciencey skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? Hi, so today I am speaking with Brittany Quagan. She is a licensed clinical therapist a psychic medium, and co-director of Yale University COPE Project. And she will tell you all about her work and this project, which I think is fascinating. So welcome, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being on. I'm really excited to have you. So yes, tell our listeners about yourself, about COPE. I hope you have all night because there is so so much to share. Well, I'm very excited to be here and I appreciate you having me on. The work I've done and do is something I'm I'm very passionate about and I continue to find it really exciting and fascinating all the time. I am a, a licensed clinical therapist and a psychic medium, which people often find that to be a strange combination <laughs> because psychic mediums often get a lot of eyebrow raises about our sanity um, outside of the spiritual community. So to hear that somebody does particularly quote unquote woo woo thing, but also is rooted in science, I think has baffled some folks, but it is possible to be spiritual and scientific at the same time. The whole point of this podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's fun to walk in, in both worlds and to be able to do the work that I do, which is predominantly just healing work. So helping people to heal uh, mostly from trauma and, and other experiences that they have through, through being human, which is hard. Um, and I do that through therapy. Very hard. Being human is so fucking hard. Can I swear? That's a question I didn't ask you. My podcast and company is called What the Fuck Just Happened, so... Oh, okay, perfect. That's right. (laughs) Great. So, yeah, being human is fucking hard, and I just like to help my humans that I work with navigate that. Amazing. So, I'm going to have about 100 questions for you today. So, the very first one is, what exactly is the COPE Project? That is a great question. So the co-project is a project that I co-direct at Yale. So I'm no longer at Yale. I work uh, in private practice, but it is a project that I, I helped to create. 
And COPE stands for Control Over Perceptual Experiences. And uh, the way that COPE happened is actually a really fun story. So I was working as a psychic medium. I owned a spiritual healing center for a number of years. And at the time, I was also working on getting my master's to become a therapist. And one of my friends, who is also a psychic medium, had contacted me and said, I just got back from doing this study at Yale. They want to talk to people who have voice hearing experiences, but who don't have any sort of mental health struggles. And he wanted to know if I wanted to participate. And I said, sure. And so I went to this locked unit psych ward, which looking back, I'm like, I don't even know why I put myself in that situation. But I went to this locked unit psych ward and met with Al Powers, who was one of the docs running the study. And we got to know one another. And about a year or two after that, I can't even remember now, um, it was time for me to do my clinical hours to get my license. And I had contacted him to see if he needed help on any studies. And so we met and he asked me if I actually would like to lead a study with him, which I was like, what? I'm just this psychic medium student. And he he was uh, sharing with me that the thing that was the most fascinating to him about the study that I participated in was that all of the psychic mediums that he connected with had control over the experiences that we have with spirit. So to back up for a second, we, some of us who do mediumship can hear spirit. So we'll hear words, phrases, sentences, full conversations. There's a whole range of ways that you can hear spirit. You can see them, feel them, sense them in other ways. And every medium has different ways of, of connecting. And so he was really taken by the fact that we could hear them, for example, and then say, no, I don't want to talk to you right now. My client isn't coming until two o'clock and that the spirit would stop talking and then come back at two o'clock. And from whatever time we said, go away until two o'clock, there would be silence. Because for him, he's only ever meeting with people who have mental health struggles. So people with schizophrenia or other forms of psychosis who hear voices but have absolutely no control over them. And so he wanted to do a study where we could learn more about a person's ability to control their experiences because to him, this was unheard of. But to somebody who's a psychic medium, this is just par for the course. Like this is just part of our practice is to be able to have control. And so COPE was birthed through this idea that we wanted to know more about a person's ability to control these experiences. And we did so through connecting to both people who have spiritual experiences or see their experiences as something that's spiritual, and also people who have these experiences and see them as something that's more clinical in nature and also have a diagnosis like schizophrenia. So what would be the difference then between someone who sees them as more 
a clinical issue that hopefully they're getting treatment for, such as schizophrenia versus someone who perceives them as being a psychic medium? Yeah, I think that is a very loaded question. Um, I don't think we can even compare psychics to someone who has schizophrenia because that would be like comparing apples to oranges and not because of, you know, well, one is, you know, I'm, I'm coming at one with judgment and one I'm not coming at with judgment. Just to, to back up, in the study, we were not comparing the two in, in any way. In the study, we were looking at and connecting with people who have the experience of hearing spirits and people who have the experience of hearing whatever it is that they're identifying the voices as, a part of themselves, voices, something external to them, whatever it might be. And we were mostly looking at people who have control over the experience and looking at what they do to have control. And then comparing the two groups as far as, okay, this group says they do this, to have control and this group says they do this to have control and then taking those things that people do these techniques that they use to have control for example both psychic mediums and people with schizophrenia have endorsed using mindfulness have endorsed using meditation have endorsed using direct communication with whatever it is that they're talking to and establishing a relationship with the voice itself. So whether it's a spirit voice or the voice of, you know, my father who I feel like hated me, establishing a relationship with that voice to exert some control. And then taking those techniques and hopefully building out some non-pharmacologically based therapeutic treatments for people who are distressed by their experiences to help them gain control. So that was the goal. And that was why we used both groups, because mediums are not typically distressed by their experiences. They have these experiences, and their life is completely functional. They go to work, they come home, they have kids, they have families, they have relationships, hobbies. Their life is not impaired in any way by hearing voices, whereas People who have schizophrenia, for example, many of them are very distressed by these experiences and can't function. And that's a huge difference between the two groups is that functionality is the number one thing. If, if you're having an experience and you're not distressed by it, we can't call that a mental health issue unless it's in some way causing you harm or others harm. But that's not happening for mediums. So we can't even classify them as a group of people who have a mental health quote unquote issue unless they are distressed by it, which you will find mediums who have distressing experiences, but for the, for the most part, they're not going to be distressed. I know mediums who have said early on or have gone through phases where they were like, am I crazy? Do I need to get help? And on the reverse side, there have been people who have a mental illness, of course, no fault of their own, who just genuinely need medical help and believe, oh, I'm speaking with spirits or I'm speaking with 
a deceased person. I don't know enough about mental illness to fairly comment on it, but that is, so I'm giving a very generalized version there. So what, how would you advise someone to even know the difference in the first place, an individual who's feeling stressed about that difference? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I will, I'm always going to look at, first and foremost, the functioning of the person. And if you're walking around feeling like you can talk to, I don't know, Jesus or God or some sort of deity, right? That in and of itself is not a problem at all. It can become a problem if you're walking around saying, I'm talking to Jesus and he wants you to kill yourself. Or I'm talking to God and he wants you to jump in front of this train. At that point, there's harm, right? There can also be harm to the person's just ability to to function well. So if you're walking into work and saying, all right, I need everybody to sit down because Jesus is speaking through me right now and you're in the middle of a board meeting, that can be problematic. That can be troubling. That can cause you to lose your job. At that point, that would be hindering your functioning, right? But someone who's walking around and they're like, well, yeah, every now and then I'm talking to Jesus and I connect and I get some insight and I get some messages and I feel protected and I feel guided. What's wrong with that? People in church do that all the time. They go to church and say, God's speaking through me or Jesus is telling us this. It's, it's only a problem when it's a problem is what I tell people. And, and that goes with any experience. One thing I've noticed with mediums, and some of the mediums I also know who went to speak with psychiatrists, therapists to see if they had any mental illness. One of the things they noticed that made them feel that they didn't is a lot of their information was verified. For example, one of my good friends, he went to a therapist and was like, I don't know, I'm suddenly getting this information about you. And the therapist was like, okay, well, we know you're not crazy because you just told me a bunch of stuff you could not have known. Has anyone who has come in perceiving this as mental illness or diagnosed as mental illness actually gotten information that's verified? That's what I've sometimes wondered if maybe people who are schizophrenic or have brains that are intensely mediumistic. Maybe. I don't, I mean, that's, I want to be very, very cautious in saying something like that. It's, you know, I want anyone illness to get help as anyone who is you believe correctly diagnosed because I'm sure there's plenty of incorrect diagnoses but anyone who you believe is correctly diagnosed with a form of mental illness do you think they're getting information that's verified that's also a good question that's that's hard to say I, I feel like it's entirely possible just like it's entirely possible that there are people who identify as mediums who aren't actually getting anything accurate. I really look at mediumship versus schizophrenia or mental illness as, well, I really like, I like to take the label off of it. If we don't have medium, if we don't have schizophrenia, if we don't have psychosis, if we don't have mental health, if we just take the labels off of it, you are looking at people who are having these experiences. And I think, and let me caveat that this is not the belief of COPE. I don't speak for COPE. I don't speak for Yale. I'm speaking as like Brittany, the medium slash therapist. I believe that regardless of how we want to identify the experience, 
that people are experiencing energy. Dead people, spirits, that is a form of energy. We experience energy all the time. You walk into a room and there's awkward tension, you're experiencing energy. You get a gut feeling about something, you're experiencing energy. When someone who has a voice hearing experience that might not be a dead person talking to them, I believe that they are experiencing some form of energy, whether that's energy of their trauma that they have experienced in their life that is lingering with them, or energy of the trauma that a parent or a caregiver or someone inflicted upon them that they carry within them. And so that manifests in the form of a voice the same way that a dead person's energy manifests in the form of a voice, a vision, a feeling, a sense for a medium. So I can't say, yes, a person who is experiencing voices and has a diagnosis of schizophrenia is actually just a super medium. I think they are connected to energy and that energy for them might be very ungrounded and very disorganized and it needs to be something that is grounded and organized and they need that help and guidance to get that energy more aligned for them to be able to feel like they can function. I want to back up a little and get a little clarity on how exactly was the study conducted to the extent you're allowed to share? Yeah, absolutely. It was an international, it still is ongoing actually. So it's an international online study that is done through a series of assessments, questionnaires, and tasks that we have people perform. So the the doc that I co-direct this with, Al, he is a neuroscientist, and there's all these fancy, fancy neuroscientist tests that they use, and I cannot speak on the neuroscience of it because I will botch the crap out of it. I'd be happy to give you links to the papers that we wrote, and also on my website, the papers that we wrote are all on there. Those will be in the show notes if anyone wants to delve in further. Absolutely. So that was how COPE was, is performed. Prior to COPE, we created the first ever scale that measures a person's ability to control their perceptual experiences, which is going to be fantastic for clinicians like myself who work with voice hearers because you can help people actually see, okay, here's the progression of your ability to control your experience. And we did a qualitative study using cabillions, (laughs) it feels like cabillions of voice hearers. So mediums, psychics, people from spiritual communities, but also people from the Hearing Voices Network who are folks that have voice hearing experiences and do see them clinically and have a diagnosis. And we gathered all of the information that they provided us with that that helped us to understand the techniques that they use and the belief systems they have. And once we condensed that down, we used COPE as our means of validating that scale. And we were able to do that. So now we have a scale that is valid We've shown and demonstrated you absolutely can control your experiences or the ability to do so does exist. And we have a way to measure that. And here it is, which is really fantastic for 
for the world of science and psychosis, truly. So yeah, that's how we, we did that. And then COPE, we're, we validated the scale and now we're still just gathering a ton of data from people all over the world who have these experiences. And a, there's a bunch of other studies that are being done as kind of like COPE 2.0s now, which is pretty awesome. Have you either as a therapist or through COPE ever worked with a patient or client who came in believing they were hearing voices and suffering from a form of mental illness and you realized they were a medium and were, were psychic or both? I have had people come in who were really distressed by their experiences and weren't sure what was going on. And I used sort of a neutral approach to helping them understand their experiences more. I didn't subscribe to a specific narrative about it. So I don't necessarily always say, oh, oh, Jimmy, you're actually connecting to the dead because that could freak someone out. (laughs) And not everybody is spiritual. Not everybody believes in the afterlife. So I'm not going to put my shit on somebody. I just help them navigate it. And the techniques that mediums use are really helpful for navigating those experiences. So I've had that happen. For sure. And I've had the opposite happen where people come in and they're like, I'm a medium. And it was like, that is not a helpful voice that you have going on telling you to do things. So I've kind of had both. What do you mean that you assessed it was not a helpful voice telling them and this person was not a medium? So the voice was essentially telling them to kill themselves all the time. So I wasn't going to say, oh, you should listen to that. That sounds great. (laughs) So where mediumship, you're typically going to be connecting to something that is more of a higher vibration, meaning it's more positive, has more insightful messages, or is really neutral in its messaging. So let's pretend I come in as a client of yours or to cope. And I say, I am hearing these voices. I've never really... I'm concerned that I might need medication or an assessment, but I've also started learning about mediumship and I might be a psychic medium. I don't know which it is. What would, what would the process be like? What would you say? So the process for me is going to be different than for COPE. COPE is, is more of a, an online assessment where you're not going to be necessarily like sitting face to face with someone who's telling you, oh, it's this versus that. Um, If you were coming to me, we would spend a lot of time just getting to know what was going on for you. What's coming up? What are you hearing? What are you experiencing? I'm going to want to know a hell of a lot about your history. I'm going to want to know if you have trauma because believe it or not, a lot of mediums and a lot of people with psychosis have a trauma history, which I find to be fascinating. But we would really do a deep dive into your experiences and what's going on and what that means for you, how you perceive it. And then we're going to find ways to work with those experiences. I'm never going to say to someone, oh, you're a hundred percent a medium or you're a hundred percent not a medium because that's not my journey. And I'm not going to put that on somebody. I will help guide them. If you come to me for therapy, I'm not going to do any mediumship stuff with you because 
I have found that when people are looking to me to have answers like that, that it can be harmful to my therapeutic relationship with them. So I would typically send them to a friend of mine for some mediumship mentoring to see how that goes while they simultaneously work with me on how to cope with the distress of it all if they have distress. Because no one's going to come to me unless they're distressed. Like, I don't know anybody who's like, I'm in a really great place in my life. Let me go to therapy. (laughs) So I have to say, if I was hearing voices and I was totally okay with it, I think I would go just to get assessed. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would do an assessment with a person. And if they're not distressed by it, my assessment's going to be pretty short. Because I've heard this before. I know Dr. Reichel has mentioned it and a few others that mediums, it's already been known that people who, overall people who suffer from forms of mental illness have had an exceptional amount of trauma and just trauma in itself. I don't want to say it's a big mental illness, but definitely something you want to get help for as someone who's had trauma with a lot of grief in my life. How, why do you think it is? It's it's not as known, but I have now heard it a lot that mediums have had overall exceptionally traumatic experiences in their lives. What do you think about that? Why do you think that is? How do you think that ties in? Do you have any thoughts on that? I don't even know a specific question to ask. I just want to, because I'm so baffled and fascinated by that. What are your thoughts on that? That it is a really fascinating thing. And I have thought about this before. And I get the sense that one of two things happens. One is we go through trauma and we desperately seek to find meaning and to find hope and to find something to help us feel like we can cope with life, which that in and of itself shifts our energy, opens us up to seeking things out. Like we are, we're, we're seekers, right? And the more open to something like that we are, I think the easier it is for it to come. and. So I think that is one thing that happens, potentially. Or we have this trauma happen and it fractures us so much so that we have parts of ourselves that show up in such extreme states, which also is a way for us to feel like we can cope with life, whether that's through voices or really big ideas that other people look at us like, what the fuck are you talking about? Or um, feeling like people are watching us or feeling like someone's out to get us. And I feel like even though those things are distressing, your brain is trying to make sense of really difficult things that have happened. And so then we go the other route of having it be a more distressing experience. So that that is my my thought. We're either taking what we've gone through and our brain is able to make enough sense of it that it can seek out something bigger than what we are or it gets so overwhelmed that it needs to create something in order to feel like it can function in this world. Is this my idealizing what it would be because I've also wondered this and I'd love your thoughts on it I know this has happened to a lot of people shortly after a loss they have visitations and 
I know myself, I started after losing my father having a few things. And then I definitely studied this, which opened myself probably up to a lot more signs. But you hear so much of shared deathbed visions or when someone passes that night, they get a visitation. And I think those are really positive experiences. It's just for the majority of people, they go away or they still will get signs now and then and communications. I've also heard stories of people in physical danger types of traumas and some that unfortunately did experience types of physical danger or a severe illness and their loved ones will show up and say, I'm with you. I'm helping you through this or some of physical danger. I've heard of people getting away because suddenly a deceased loved one will be like, leave this room now. And then they find out something horrible happened. And I mean, that's a very loaded topic too, because you wonder why, well, why did my person not know to leave before the tragedy or why did my person not come in and tell me to get away before this bad thing happened to me? But I've wondered, would it ever have something to do with the strength of the other side being like, now I've got to come in and help my person even more? I think so. I think it's like a combination. I think it's, and again, I don't have any proof of all this. This is just my opinion, but it feels like, you know, the strength of the person on the other side. And also when we do mediumship, they call it mediumship because, you know, we're on this very physical plane, right? And then you have spirit, which is at this very high vibrational plane. And in order for us to connect, we have to meet each other in the middle. We're meeting each other like in the medium plane. <laughs> it's kind of like, so we're in this in-between state, which allows us to be able to connect more deeply. And when we are really entrenched in the human, it is so hard to perceive something outside of that very human state that we're in. And if you think about the level of dissociation that occurs or the disconnection from our body that occurs when we go through trauma, we are then leaving that human state of mind, right? Which is going to allow us to perceive things very differently. Same thing like when people are tripping on shrooms and acid, you disconnect from that very human part of you and it allows you to perceive things very differently. And I think the same thing happens when you go through trauma. It's like this, this disconnect from your body. And that happens when you're dying. That Dying is a traumatic experience because like you fucking know you're dying. And so you start to disconnect from your meat sack <laughs> as I like to call it, your body, right? And I think that that allows us to perceive something other than what we're normally seeing with our very human eyes. I'd be surprised if anyone hasn't been through some form of severe trauma in their lives. And a lot of what you said about that sort of disconnecting, I find very, very relatable, yeah, personally. And, you know, there's chunks of time, I think when people go through severe traumas, if it's a little drawn out that they don't remember time frames around it. I have, I consider myself as someone who has almost a perfect memory and I have severe lost time from when my dad was, when we were first told he was not going to get better, even parts when we, there was still hope. Like I have almost no memories of huge chunks of time from when, especially when he was in hospice. I remember almost nothing of that time. So you've worked with 
neuroscientists on this and i know most of them do not believe mediumship is real or afterlife is real and most of them have concluded that consciousness is a function of the brain have any of the neuroscientists on this project and again i'm making an assumption that they think they've made this conclusion that consciousness is created by a brain but have any of them thought that and have since changed their mind at least somewhat and if so to what extent after working with you and working on COPE? So there is really one main neuroscientist, which is Al, and he takes a really agnostic stance on this. Al's great because he will say, we don't know. No one actually knows. And the problem with scientists is that all they want to do is know and answer. And so because they don't know something, they're like, well, that's not real. Or, you know, they want to say it's this, that, or the other thing. But the truth is, we do not know. And we probably, I don't know when we will know. I mean, there's some some scientists out there doing like paranormal research, which I think is really great, and research on consciousness. And I know that that is a really growing area of research. But as far as Al goes, he doesn't not believe. He's just like, we just kind of got to see what happens. But COPE isn't validating that mediumship is real in any way. It's just validating that a person is having an experience and we want to know more about it. But he's, I mean, he's great. Like he was really open to going and getting a reading and stuff. Like we took him to get a reading when we went to Lilydale for some of our research and shit, which is like this cool spiritual community in upstate New York. And we got him a reading and He's gone to to a gallery reading, which is like a group reading when we were there. And he's, I mean, he's really open, which I think is great. And I've met neuroscientists who were like, no, you're all fucking crazy. And that's just it. <laughs> so. My mom works some with neuroscientists as, as a therapist, and they all think this is bad shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, they think I've lost my mind. <laughs> I don't even know if she's told the neuroscientists, but... <laughs> that I am doing all this. Yeah. But then there's also neuroscientists who have been studying this. Yeah. And and then you said the neuroscientist you're working with, um, you call him Al. I don't want to be disrespectful and not refer to him as doctor. Yeah. Dr. Powers. (laughs) Dr. Powers. Like, you know him. I feel I should call him Dr. Powers. Do you know if Dr. Powers or any neuroscientists have scanned brains of people who are experiencing hearing voices through mental illness versus mediums who are getting mediumistic information. I don't know people who have done it in the context of we're looking to see if it's like real or not. We did. So we scanned people. We did MRIs on people who have voice hearing experiences who are both mediums and who are both voice hearers. Actually, the study I participated in, we had to do an MRI. What we were doing in that moment was this task, the conditioned hallucinations task, where we basically had to listen for if we're hearing a voice or a beep or not. And they were looking at the differences in the brains of people who have a diagnosis versus not. And if our brains looked different, and there was a difference in the brain activity that that they saw. And then in COPE, we were 
having people turn their voices on and off and seeing if there's any correlations to the scale that we created and comparing that. I don't know if anything's been published on that yet. I'll have to look. I am not like actively in the lab anymore where I know all the the hot goss. So I'll have to see, see if they have anything that came out recently. But I, so I want to just clarify, first of all, there was a difference between people who are reported voice hearers who are maybe possibly have mental illness versus psychic mediums. There was a difference in their brainwave activity. I want to be careful with my phrasing here. So the difference that they saw, if I'm remembering this correctly, people who were mediums were far less conditioned to have hallucinations than people with schizophrenia were. So the task that we were doing basically conditions you to have hallucinations. Like um, Pavlov's dog shit. Like you're going to start salivating even though there's no food just because the bell is ringing, that type of thing. So they would um, play a tone every time this thing flashed. So then the thing would flash and then they would want to know if you're hearing the tone or not. And over time, you're going to hear the tone even though the thing isn't flashing or even when it is flashing, I should say, you're hearing a tone. So they condition you to hallucinate. People who had schizophrenia, from what I remember, they were conditioned very easily to hear this tone. People who were mediums were not conditioned as easily to hear the tone. And then someone with a quote-unquote healthy brain or no voices, really, or even less likely to be conditioned. So it was like you had no voice hearing was the least likely to be conditioned. Mediums were the medium, <laughs> the medium way, like level of being conditioned. And then people with psychosis were far more easily or far more likely to be conditioned. And then regarding the MRIs of the brains, how that was done when mediums were giving read, were downloading information and when reported voice hearers were hearing voices. The, both of those brains were scanned. The, the conditioned hallucinations thing that I was just talking about, that was a, the study that I was in and they scanned our brain while we were doing it. In my head right now, I can see the pictures of the brains. You're in a scan while listening to this noise and doing this thing. And then through COPE, we were having them do the same task plus other similar tasks. But this time we were, we were scanning them before and after they turned their voices on and off for the people who had control. So before and after they turned their voices on and off with an MRI, and that was people, voice hearers, that is the correct word for people who are not defined as mediums who are hearing voices, and then psychic mediums. Now, what were the differences? And there were differences in the results. So that, I don't know if that's published yet. So I don't even know if I'm allowed to say, but if it is published... I will give you the paper to link in the show notes. <laughs> I will reach out and find out. 
but they have a lot of stuff going on in the lab right now. And I don't know what has been finalized or not. We'll update all of you with a little note once those results come out. Since Brittany is no longer working with the COPE project, she does not have access to the results. I have reached out to Dr. Albert Powers, who ran the program and ran the studies. And as soon as I hear back from him, I will do a little mini episode update. So stay tuned. Hey, everyone. I'm really excited to let you know about the science and spirituality salons I'm now hosting. During these intimate events, a scientifically verified psychic medium will give all of you readings, and I will give a talk on the science and evidence that changed my mind about an afterlife. So will also be an amazing opportunity to get to meet some of you in person or virtually and to share more about all the science and data that transformed my worldview and got me through my worst days. These can be hosted in your home, in a nearby cafe with a private room, or they can even be virtual. I've hosted a few already and they were really special, fascinating, emotional, evidential. So if you're interested in getting a small group together over dinner, brunch, drinks, coffee, to learn more about the science and to get evidential medium readings, send me an email at hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put science and spirituality in the title. Inspired by David Justice, who died after a nearly two-year battle with glioblastoma, Jet, Joyful Experience Team, was founded by his son, Oliver Justice, and his best friends, River Attard, Leo Gerstein, Jack Gorenstein, and Felix Ward. Jet seeks to create joyful experiences for families struggling with brain cancer, a chance to enhance their lives with experiences that are rich in love and will be treasured for all time. We believe, like David did, that life should not be measured in time, but in joyful moments. Jet will allow families coping with this painful diagnosis to go to special events and be treated like VIPs. Go to makingheadway.org forward slash jet for a complete list of programs and activities. We've just talked about voice hearers, but we also know when we talk about psychic mediumship, the clairs are often talked about clair audience hearing voices, clair sentient knowing feelings, clair visual. Is that the word just where you see things? Clair cognizance, clair audience, clairvoyance, um, clair sentience. Right. And then also with mental illness there's sometimes hallucinations where you will visually hallucinate was only audio focused on audio is the primary visual we did some stuff on but it wasn't the main show <laughs> it was mostly auditory but we have some we did collect data on visual and then more like tactile and sensory 
type hallucinations. What was the results of the visual? I don't think we've, we haven't even gone through that data yet. I, it was really just auditory for banging out all the papers that we were doing for GOPE. <laughs> what would you say so far were the most surprising results of COPE? Whether you were surprised or not, I don't know if you were surprised by anything personally, but overall, what would the average person be most surprised about about the results? So the most surprising results were that people, despite how they conceptualize their experience, those who have control all use the same techniques and skills. And that was the coolest thing ever to learn because I'd be interviewing medium after medium after medium after medium, getting all of their flow, their skills, their detail, like all this stuff that they use to have control. And then I was interviewing all of these people who have lived experience and have a diagnosis. And they were saying all of the same things that people with more spiritual experiences were sharing and that it was effective. And so that was huge. Wait, you mean that people who were diagnosed in hearing voices were using the same techniques that psychic mediums were? It's just it was not working for them and it worked for the mediums. No, it works for the people with the voice hearing experiences because we we connected with people who have schizophrenia, for example, and they have control of their voices. I think that's, you know, that was the other surprising part of this research was that you can, well, first of all, 30%, I think it's like 27% maybe of the population has had voice hearing experiences. That is like an incredible number of people. If you think about how many people live on this planet, you can have voice hearing experiences and not require a diagnosis. You can have voice hearing experiences and be a fully functioning human being with absolutely no need for a diagnosis of any kind. And you can be somebody who has voice hearing experiences regardless of how you identify them or regardless if it's diagnosable and you can have control of them. And that is something that I think really needs to be highlighted because the definition of hallucination in and of itself, it is a uncontrollable perceptual experience. And we proved that you can control these experiences, regardless if it's seen as a hallucination or not. So all mediums were able to control it in the group. Some voice hearers were able to control it using the same techniques that mediums did. And then there were a portion of voice hearers who cannot control it. We had all four. We had mediums who have control over their perceptual experiences. We have mediums who don't have great control over their perceptual experiences. We have people with a mental health diagnosis who do not have control over their experiences. And we have people with a mental health diagnosis who do have control over their experience. And so we got the stories of all of them and had all of them complete assessments and tasks of all kinds. What now then is the final conclusion or not final, but at this point conclusion you have based on the study 
of the differences between psychic mediums versus voice ears? My conclusion is really that one is no different than the other. <laughs> that it really just boils down to is someone functioning? Are they well? And what can we use to help them if they're not? And I think that is a takeaway that I want people to really listen to because we are so quick to stigmatize and label and pathologize the experiences that humans have when we know absolutely nothing about the depth of experiences a person can have. So that's my takeaway. So it sounds like you are coming from the point where you believe psychic mediumship is real because often some people say there's no difference between psychic mediumship and mental illness you think it's real Mm -hmm. okay so now you're a psychic medium when did you first realize that I've always been a spooky bitch I, I refer to myself as like I've always been into the paranormal and ghosts and spooky stuff but I was seeing spirits when I was young. I was a young teenager and having really validating experiences psychically that my mom was like, you're a fucking psychic. And I'm like, I am. (laughs) But I really knew when I was in my early 20s, because I was really struggling with my mental health with anxiety, depression, my own trauma, and a medium that I worked with in the insurance world took me under her wing and was like, I think that you're connecting to energy because she would hear me talking about the experiences that I was having because I'd be like, I think I'm having a heart attack. I think I'm having a brain aneurysm. I think this is happening and this is happening. And she'd be like, but I could see this dead person standing in back of you that would be dead from the thing you're talking about. And she was like, I really think you're just picking up on energy and you just don't know it and you don't know what to do with it. And she really helped me make sense of what I was experiencing to really hone it as a skill versus just like willy nilly chaotic energy coming at me all the time. So you said when you were little that first some of the experiences you had as a psychic medium were verified. Can you share one of the most verified ones from when you were little? Yes. So two two things that come to mind. One, I was about two years old and I was walking around talking about this excruciating headache that I had and holding my stomach also and saying, I think I'm pregnant. I think I'm pregnant. My mom didn't know she was pregnant at the time, but she found out she was a few days after that. And then the more verifiable one was I was maybe 15 and my mom was dating someone and I had vibes about this person and she was going through something. I didn't know what was going on. I don't even think I realized she was going through anything, but I had a dream. I used to get a lot of my psychic stuff used to come in dreams when I was younger. Not so much anymore, but I had this dream that the person that she was with was cheating on her, but he wasn't just cheating on her. He was cheating on her specifically with a dude. And I woke up that day and I said, mom, 
he's cheating on you with a dude. And she was like, what? <laughs> and we were in the kitchen. I remember I like had the refrigerator open. And I wasn't even thinking of it. It's like, mom, he's cheating on you with a dude. And she's like over here on the other side of the fridge. And I shut the fridge door. And as I shut the fridge door, he walks in through the garage door. And I turned right to him and I was like, are you hooking up with a dude behind my mom's back? What I didn't pick up on was that he looked at my mom. And I guess what my mom was doing in back of me was going like this. Because then a week later, she sat me down and she said, first of all, I want to let you know that I think you have a gift. And second of all, I, I found out that he was cheating on me with men and that he has all of this going on trying to figure out his identity and da, da 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 She was like, I don't know how the hell you knew that, but I'm freaked out. And that was the first moment that I was just like, what the fuck is going on and how do I know this? Yeah. And how did you, did it come to you in a dream or it just popped into your head? It was just a dream. It was a dream and it was vivid and it was like, this was happening and it was very clearly happening. And so I woke up and I was like, so this is what's going on. That must've been very life changing. You must've been shocked. <laughs> I'm sure your mom was shocked. He was probably shocked. <laughs> And what a yeah. badass 15 year old that you confronted him and stuck up for your mom like that, like super <laughs> badass. So I'm impressed with that. And I'm sorry your mom went through that. Being cheated on is hard. How do you get your ability, your information now? What's it like? Do you take clients as a psychic medium, right? Yes. I limit it because I have so much that I'm doing with my with my trauma folks, but a couple times a month I do readings and I do, I teach more than, than I actually do nowadays. It's like, I'll teach Reiki and teach readings and how to give readings and blah, 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 blah. But how I receive my information, it's more like a, I have more of a claircognizance now and still a little bit of clairsentience. So that's more of like a deep knowing and I'm an empath, so I feel feel things deeply and I know things. So it'll just be kind of like, oh, like I'll go to sit down with a client and I'll just be like, oh, you're getting a new job? Oh, you're, you know, you want to go to vet school? You know, just like random stuff like that. And they'll just be like, what? <laughs> and it's almost like you hear it, but you're not. It's more like when you just know, like when you read a menu or not when you read a menu, but when you're sitting there and you know that you're hungry and you know that you want something sweet, you're not sitting there like necessarily hearing a voice being like, I am hungry and I want something sweet. It's just the, the thought is there in the form of a knowing. Do you experience psychic information versus medium information differently? Yeah. So I am more of a psychic now. I did mediumship for a, a good chunk of time, but then I just found that I like don't it's not that I don't love it. I just don't, I don't, I don't know. My reading style is very much like, here's what I feel like you're going through, where you're at, what your energy is saying about you. Here's where I know you want to go, but here are the th obstacles that are getting in the way of you manifesting that. So I do more like mediumship in the sense of like, I talk to their spirit guides more than like, oh, your grandfather is here. Sometimes I'll do mediumship now, but the way that my healing work has 
really shaped itself, mediumship isn't something that's at the forefront. So that's like not often that 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 I do that anymore. Since working and now as an adult, what's been the biggest what the fuck experience you've had? Oh God. Um, I've had a lot of what the fuck experiences. One of them, meeting my husband was one that was really interesting because I that actually came in dream form now that I'm thinking about it. Every single night I would have these dreams of this person that I called Shadow Boy because I couldn't see his face. But in every dream, more and more of his characteristics and things about him would reveal themselves. So I would start taking note and writing them down. And I would wake up and I'm like, oh my God, like that's my fucking person. That's my person. That's my person. And I met him and didn't think anything of it, like didn't connect anything because we only met as like friends. It was like my friend's brother. So it wasn't like I was like actively on a date and like, oh, are you shadow boy? But I like meditated one day and I was, and it was like a year after meeting him, he wasn't even on my, he wasn't a blip on my radar as far as like somebody that I wanted to be with. And I was meditating and my guides, I was like, I just want to know who Shadow Boy is. And like very loudly they said his name. And I was like, my friend's brother? I was like, are you kidding me? And then I was like, there's no way. But I wrote it down. And then a couple weeks later, we were hanging out. He was he lived in California and would fly back and forth. We were hanging out all as a group. And I started to pay attention. And I noticed... He had the messenger bag that Shadow Boy had. He had the guitar. He had the tattoo. He had the shirt color. He had all of these things. And it was all very specific and very weird details about him. Like, does improv comedy. Weird shit that, like, I never would think of in a person that I wanted to be with. Because he's, like, not my type at all. Yeah, I ended up marrying the guy. It was really weird. Where did all of those thoughts come from? Like, oh, it'll have this and this and this and this. And it was all super specific. That was kind of a cool thing. I love that. And that just makes, I think for all of us looking to find the one or looking for other things in our life, just about ways to pay attention and that maybe things are working for you in ways you don't even realize. And you know, it's making mm-hmm. me think I'm going to start paying attention to got peripheral, yes. peripheral guys in my life. Oh, yeah. Is there an, a huge what the fuck you had with someone else that you're able to share? There have been a number of times that I have known someone was pregnant and they were like a day pregnant and they've been like, what the fuck? I didn't even tell my husband yet. I'm like, sorry. And <laughs> didn't mean to pry. It's just like, I looked at you and I was like, oh, she's pregnant. I've had things like that happen. I've had a fun one was actually one of my first like mediumship experiences, which was actually on my husband's sister, who was my friend first. So I didn't know her very well at this point. We were work colleagues. So it was kind of like, I didn't know anything intimately about her. And I was looking for people that I didn't know well to practice reading on. And I was doing, the way I would do readings at the beginning of my journey was I would do Reiki on someone. So like kind of like sitting there doing a hands-on healing and I would connect while I was doing Reiki. 
and just reading the person's energy, but also doing a mediumship reading. And so I said to her, I want you to think about someone who's who died. Don't tell me who it is. I want you to just think about them and I'll connect to them while I do Reiki. And then after I do the Reiki session, we'll sit down and I'll tell you what I got. So I let them relax during it. And so I'm connecting to her and three people show up in the room. And I was like, whoa, I asked for one person, but okay. So I started to ask for information and one of them was a younger guy and I, he wouldn't stop talking and I couldn't concentrate on anything else. So I said, I'm going to be done with the session at 6 PM. You can talk at 6 PM, but I need you to step away right now. So again, controlling our experiences, right? So he stepped away and at 6 PM, all the power went out (laughs) in the, the space that we were in. And my friend like shot up and she was like, what the fuck? And I was like, uh, we need to talk because this guy won't stop talking. I told him he can come back at six. All the power went out. So now we have to to talk. So I validated for, I was like, okay, got this young guy, motorcycle accident, connected to you. And then I had a stepdad and a grandfather, grandmother. I can't even remember now, but she was like, Oh my God. She was like, I couldn't decide who to choose. So I was like, whatever, I'll just invite these three people. And it was the three people that I, that I brought up. And her cousin was the guy on the motorcycle who had a very bold personality and like knocked all the lights out in the room. And I love that story because, um, it was one of my first experiences and she went home and told her brother who had no idea that one day the girl that she was talking about would be his wife. And he was like, I don't believe in that stuff. <laughs> but, Oh, that's funny. And you, mm-hmm. you didn't know her well enough. You didn't know about these deceased loved ones of hers. You knew none of that. And she had invited the three of them to come. She invited the dead people in her head. Cause I said, I want you to think about who died that you want me to connect to without telling me she couldn't choose who she wanted to connect to. So she invited the three of them in her head in. And so those were the three people that I connected to in spirit. I told her to invite one person because I was brand new to mediumship. And so then that way I can validate at the end, like, okay, this is who came through, blah, blah, blah. Is that who you wanted? She asked in her head without telling me these three people to come in. And so at the end of the session, I said, I have three people standing here, not one. And here are the three people. And those were the three people that she wanted in. So you do a Reiki session with a little bit of mediumship mixed in. Yeah. Back in the day, that's how I operated. How does it blend or does it? How is it being a therapist and a psychic medium? Yeah, it's... I find it very useful because I work with my guides to help me sort of steer the session along. And like, also, it's great to be able to tell when your client is full of shit (laughs) and you're like, "Mm, is that really what happened, Mary? And, you know, and then they're like, no. And, you know, so it helps me with that. But I don't I don't cross any boundaries. I don't just read people while I'm doing sessions. That's their privacy. It's more of like a, I use it when it's use when it's needed for the session. But ultimately, 
I try to keep the two separate. I'm never like, oh, I know that we're talking about, you know, your your grief about this person, so let's connect to them in spirit. I, I don't cross those lines. I keep my psychic clients very separate from my therapy clients. Um, the therapy skills come in handy everywhere, and just being intuitive comes in handy everywhere, but I, I keep a firm boundary. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad, how as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance, but that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me, and some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to wtfjusthappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. So Erica asks, do you ever wish you were a medium? Are you ever going to try to be one? Um, okay, so in the beginnings, 
when I first started studying this. Yes, I wished I could be a medium, but not because I was really passionate about doing that for my career. I thought very wrongly that psychic mediums never grieved. So if I could be a psychic medium, I would never feel grief. I never really thought at that point, though, that I could become one. I thought it was just something that you're innately born with. I have since learned that you can train. And I think some people, if they train really hard, can become mediums. I, I don't, I'm, I'm sure you'd have to break down each individual case. But overall, I do think you have to be born with a certain level of skill set. And I don't think I would ever have that skill set. And it's not really something that I especially want to do for my career, nor do I think I'd be one of the best ones. And I think if you're doing it, you really need to be amazing. You are basically offering as close to proof as we can get that consciousness survives bodily death to deeply grieving people. And yeah, I I don't think, despite the fact that I've had a few weird experiences, which you can read about in my book, I don't think I have actual abilities. Yes, I would love to be one in the sense that I think I would just have so much fun, like making myself a science experiment, like getting evidence and being like, holy fuck, wait, that's real. And having the whole experiences, but and I would probably want to participate in the scientific research, but I wouldn't want to do it as my career. It's just, it's not where my personal drive lies. I would, I think if I could pick one of the like, what the fuck type of evidence stuff I write about, my first choice would be to be able to have out of body experiences and just go and explore that way. Or I would love to have an NDE, near-death experience, but like without all the bad components, like having to hurt myself really badly in an accident or get really sick. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Where can our listeners find you, follow you, follow the COPE studies? Yeah. So my personal, um, I'm on Instagram or Facebook. You can find me at Brittany Quagan. And my website is BrittanyQuaganCounseling.com. COPE is also on the interwebs. Uh, the website for COPE is spirit.research.yale.edu. And they have a Facebook page as well. If you look for the Yale COPE project, uh, it is on there. To get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to WTF Just Happened. Net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife 
and you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened.